are power crystals. Getting cute. Critical and, and metaphysical. metaphysical. I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. Um yeah, I've been resting a lot lately. Which has been good. And yeah. I feel like I've been um, experiencing the positive results of that, mm. which is good. And now I'm trying to be very cautious with myself instead of being like, cool, I'm back to normal. I'm just going to go back to doing exactly what I was doing yeah. that got me here in the first place to being yeah. like, okay, this is nice. And my tank isn't full yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to continue to cultivate these things that are helping me and like expend the energy that I have available to me now. Yeah. On trying to develop different habits, different ways of being. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I'm li- like, as I'm listening to you right now, I'm like, oh my God, I get it. Like, there's such a like push for rest like everybody's posting all these memes all the time about resting and there's like such a f like an emphasis on rest as a form of resistance and especially for like you know black and indigenous people like this you know but then it's it like we can rest but then when we're rested we come back into a society that doesn't value it so it's like you either have to like swim with the current and catch up or radically say, I'm not going to, and then deal with the consequences of not of overtly not fitting into society in that way. It's like, there's, it's, it's like, Oh yeah, we can only do so much. And then like the structure has to change. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's, um, that's one of the like, frustrating things but I also think it's one of the um I think it's one of the things that's being made super clear to people right now that like how life and society and economy has been structured is just so I don't know like inhumane yeah you know and the the thing that I'm, I don't know, one of the things that I've had to like sit with or like recognize or allow myself to be shown maybe would be one way of putting it too, Mm -hmm. is that, um, yeah, there are people who are like super productive and seem really, um, I don't know, um, prolific in the work that they do. Like they're doing a lot, a lot. And being friends with people who are in that or who have been in that zone also being like, yeah, that sucked. I hated that. Yeah. Like I was super prolific. I did a whole bunch and I was really tired and I didn't get to do any of the things that I really wanted to do. And I wanted to quit all the time. Like these are things that I've heard from people who previously I was like, wow, I want to be that person. Like I want to be doing all the things. And it's like, doing all the things is actually it like looks better from the outside than it feels like from the inside. And the fact that that's the case, I think really points out how, how messed up it is. Yeah. 
Totally, totally. Have you gotten people around you or new, for lack of a better word, followers that see you as that person? I I would assume so. Yeah. But like, I also have been deliberately doing a lot less this year, like both on purpose and because I was forced to. Like, yeah. um, like I did... Um, I did my conference talk at the end of May and that was huge. Like a lot of, a lot of energy went into that. And then I was just tired because before that, um, you know, I was working on that conference talk. I also wrote like 50,000 words in like six weeks for a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of different stuff. Um, I did my first like proper, like launch of like an offering, uh, which was great, yeah. but also really exhausting in different ways because it's just it required me to get clear on certain things in my practice, um, yeah. and like make certain kinds of decisions in my practice that just required a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like since then, I haven't really done that much. I f- it, according to me, I feel like I haven't done that much. Totally right. Where like yeah. I've I've turned down a several different invitations to be part of like summits or like little conferences or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think I've turned down any podcasts because I really like talking to people. <laughs> Thank <laughs> um, God. <laughs> I really like talking to people. Um, and so far I haven't gotten any, like, will you be in my podcast? And it's a podcast that I like, I look it up and I'm like, why would I ever be on this podcast? Like, yeah. that, hasn't, that hasn't happened to me yet. Yeah. Um, um but I don't know I don't know it's hard for me to imagine it's hard for me to know how other people perceive what I'm doing totally yeah well okay so this brings us to like I'm just totally bypassing introductions that's okay we can always come back to that but like talking about the the top so we were you know have a conversation about sustainability I feel like we're already talking about it Mm -hmm. and one of the things is I was like thinking last night about like, as I was preparing for this like conversation, like thinking about what is sustainability to me? What are examples where it's either lacking or where there's abundance of it in our society? Where does it show up in my life? One of the things that I like kept coming back to was like celebrity, like the how, how people become celebrities, how celebrity has nothing to do with the actual person that's being celebrated or uplifted. Um, And and then like how that is like an inherently to me, seems like completely unsustainable, just like an unsustainable way to live for the person who's living it. Yeah. Um, And what you're talking about to me, like I was, I was aghast when I saw your post on Instagram. It was like, unfollow me. (laughs) <laughs> I was like I love this so much <laughs> but but and, and everything you said was exactly like made sense and you know all the words that you wrote for that post but like to just simply because how many people look at posts and don't read they just see the picture and they don't read mm-hmm. everything in there to just come through and like see a, a giant like flyer that says unfollow me and I that came up when I was thinking about like how you're turning into a celebrity, Diane. Oh God! Oh God! It's I know. Like, 
We've talked about this before too. We've talked about this before. Yeah, I mean, because like that's one of the things. That's actually been one of like ever since I was really little, I've always just been like, I feel so bad for famous people. Yeah. Like like obviously they get like all of this cool like junk, whatever. They get like money and like free nights at fancy hotels and like I don't know. Like incredibly, I remember actually. I remember one of the first times I realized that, um, like, like celebrities on the red carpet, like wearing just beautiful jewelry that they didn't own, but they were just loaned that jewelry because they're famous. And I'm just like, I would like sixteen like maximum quality emeralds around my neck right now. Yeah. Also, (laughs) like never ever like just the idea that you wouldn't be able to go out in public. Yeah. Just to be like a normal person and like go for a walk. And like um like my partner and I have been watching the OA Mm -hmm. recently. Um and one of the episodes that we watched recently it features you know, this, this woman who was like lost for seven years and she comes back from being lost and she's no longer blind. She was blind whenever she was lost. And she and her parents are just like out for dinner at Olive Garden. And this like total random stranger comes up and just like forces a selfie essentially. It's like totally non-consensual, completely like, just like what the hell would make you think that this person out for dinner trying to eat in like a massive number of Olive Garden breadsticks would yeah. want to take a selfie with you, stranger. Like what the actual fuck? Anyway, yeah. so that's just something that like, I think like, um, like the injustice of paparazzi, like the injustice of tabloids totally. has always yeah. been something that I've been aware of. And I'm just like, like the idea of even like like tiny micro celebrity-ness I'm just like it's not about me it's about the work like it has to be about my work yeah um yeah because yeah I don't know um yeah it's just it's I I'm really lucky like from what I know like having other friends who are um in visible enough positions to be uh to become receptacles for other people's projections yeah (laughs) right like I think that's a good summary of what a certain kind of visibility is um you know I've heard stories from them of like messages that they receive from people that are just like completely unacceptable like you know people just dumping stuff onto them yeah and like totally disacknowledging their humanity essentially um and I've had a moment I've gotten gotten a little bit of it. I've gotten a very little bit of it, but I've gotten like way less than I, than I at least would guess. Like, I don't know if there's an average for that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And like, that makes me feel really lucky. Like I feel really lucky about that. And I'm also just like, like there's an edge. There's like an apprehension around yeah like what what forms of that at some point I may or may not receive yeah um because like that's the I don't know you know this whole idea of the shit sandwich where it's like whatever you choose come like whatever you choose to like do with your life it comes with a side of a specific flavor of shit sandwich Uh and it comes from Mark Manson I think is his name is where I like heard this idea years ago he has like an article about it um but like the shit sandwich of like trying to be the best vessel and like 
uh, conduit possible for the work that wants to come through me and the way that it wants to come through me, like the side dish shit sandwich of that is being some kind of visible. Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah. And like, I only want to be visible to the people who actually need to experience my work and I can't determine for them that they are the right people to be experiencing what wants to come through me. But like, I can encourage the people who are on the fence to like, leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting that you say that you want to be visible for people that want to like do the work with you because that also is like, I mean, besides like energetic protections and the things that we can do, like with our energy to make us invisible, you can't, there's no gate there that you can close to, to close yourself off from certain people. Like you, you, it's like, that is a total, like a boundary that kind of doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. Yeah. Well, okay. So so let's go back to sustainability because I think everything you're talking about is like exactly what I was thinking in, in terms of sustainability. But first of all, like, why is that up for you right now? Like, what, what are you thinking about? Like, what does it mean for you? What, how is it playing out in your life right now? Yeah. So it's up for me because, um, I've just been really fucking tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've been tired since like, like for like a year, I've been some level of like tired. Um, and I can explain it in a couple of different ways where it's like, you know, my partner and I came here to Los Angeles and we like signed a lease and we have this cute little house and it's like the most, um, in a place, um, like in a, like a residential space that I have been in, in a long, long time. Um, and like, I have an office which mm-hmm. is actually a walk-in closet that I converted to an office, but it's an office. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, it means that I'm not constantly thinking about where is next, which has just been the characterization of pretty much my entire adult life of just like, you know, what do I have to do next? Where do I have to be next? Um, yeah. You know, like how long am I even really going to be here? which like, you know, it's always kind of a question because I, you know, my Sagittarius side comes out and the like, Ooh, a new horizon. Let's go there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm in one place enough combined with the one placing, like in one placing that um, this year has brought about thanks to um, coronavirus and like the uprisings and just like the, I don't know. Like I've, I've been experiencing this year, what I call, um, racism based agoraphobia. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, where I won't, I wouldn't say it's anywhere close to what people with like, you know, clinical agoraphobia experience, but there's definitely been like a hesitancy, um, to be out in the world, but being in one place enough that certain parts of my system can like catch up with, um, like how much movement I've been engaging with prior to being in one place. And along with that just comes like the consequences of just like my body being like, Oh, we can rest now. You're going to be really tired. So you have to rest. Yeah. Right. And like, I've, you know, had some medical kind of symptoms that go along with that and, you know, Mm -hmm. done some testing and working with um, some medical professionals, like 
healthcare professionals around that. Um, and it's like really funny, like whenever I got the results of one test back, it was just like, cool, this is what it is. And what you do to dr- address this is you like you rest and you do everything you can to eat like three square meals a day. Yeah. And you reduce stress. So it's basically like what my grandmother, well, maybe not my grandmother, but like what a grandmother would tell you to do yeah. when you're tired is just like, oh, honey, you should sleep more. Do you, want me, do you want me to bring you some potato soup? Because <laughs> yeah. you maybe actually do need carbs. Like you should eat them. Um, yeah. And you should eat like regularly. Like one of my stress responses yeah. is like putting off eating as long as possible. And it's like, that's not great for a system yeah. that is in, like encountering stress and um, encountering fresh forms of weird, like collective trauma mm-hmm. on top of, like processing some old trauma, like yeah. you got to eat, you got to sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I've been really thinking about is like, okay, so part of what got me here is like not, not even knowing that I could or should bake into my life intentional forms of rest that are like aimed at particular, um, I don't know, particular forms of respite, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. like there are different kinds of rest, like different forms. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm like really learning to appreciate. Um, like looking forward, like how do I, like as I get my tank full, fuller again, like mm-hmm. what do I put in place to ensure that I don't run on fumes again? Yeah. Right. You know, it's like in the car, that's like you pay attention to the gas level. Right. And yeah. like once it gets to a certain point, you like make sure you get to a gas station before you get home. Right. Yeah. Like that's simple. But there's not <clears throat> we don't have a little dial on our forehead yeah, exactly. <laughs> that we yeah. can check in with. And instead, it's more just like, what's the what's the daily maintenance? What's the weekly maintenance? What's the monthly maintenance? Yeah. You know, um, how much time do you actually spend doing certain things like you know, what kinds of offerings do you offer? Like, what kinds of people do you work with? How much do you charge? Like, that's been a really tricky one Yeah. that I think is like super complex within the world that we operate in, like this like yeah. world of people who want to be helping other people and supporting other people yeah. uh, with different forms of healing and especially wanting to support people who don't have um, certain kinds of privilege and resource access. Like, yeah. you know, like what what is a what is a true reciprocity like not just in financial terms too right like i think that's one of the things that wraps into like who do you work with like and who Mm -hmm. you work with is going to be somewhat influenced by how you present yourself in spaces where people might find you um and just like there's so many layers within all of that yeah Um, and trying to be like accurate around what you can present, like how you can support people, trying to be uh, truthful about where, you know, I'm coming from, what I care about, what, what my approach is. Um, and not discounting the value of what I do. Yeah. While also not feeling like, I'm trying to compensate for other areas where I'm not full through something like how much I charge for my services. Yeah. Right. Like there's, it's it's all so intersected. Um, 
and I think a huge amount of it is like recognizing that um, reciprocity isn't just between two people. Like yeah. recipro reciprocity is a web of interconnections, right? Yeah. Like, um, like even thinking about like the whole concept of paying it forward, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. that's a form of reciprocity that isn't about two people exchanging. It's not transactional. Equally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this topic of sustainability, the subject of sustainability in practice, like, you know, I'm supporting people in this way and they're giving me money. Cool. How am I making sure that I'm getting supported because money itself does not support me. It's how right. I spend my money that supports me. Totally. And it's also like, what are my other relationships like, yeah. you know, like are, am I having, am I experiencing reciprocity in my friendships and how yeah. I'm receiving support and giving support, not just one-to-one -one, again, like, but across yeah. webs, across networks. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't have like a 100%. Like, I, there, I don't know if there is like a, there is no single answer to this, but it's right. Like, yeah. Of um, course. You know, as I've been thinking about this, like, I've also been getting homesick. Yeah. Because like, I came to Los Angeles, I meet people like you who are wonderful. And then I can't like come over to your house and like, yeah. make you stew and like hug you and like, <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah. And so like the the ways that um, the like distance proximity relationships, like the close in ones that I can develop here, like the ways of development aren't the usual ones. Yeah. And then the people that I already have like intense, like connections and bonds with, like none of them are here except yeah. my partner. Right. But like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. like my friends are in, my friends are in Chicago and my friends are in, on the East coast and yeah you know I have a couple of folks in Oakland area yeah but like that's when did you move thing. to the west coast last October oh my god so it's been almost exactly a year do you think about the timing like you moved here just like five months before the pandemic like and I know so many people that made moves just like that like quit their long-term career or move to another state or move back in with their parents months ahead of it but it was almost like an orchestrated thing to get people in the places they were supposed to be for some yeah reason yeah I think about that a lot because like I'm here in the same way like I spent like five-ish months in Vermont um yeah. like a year and a half ago now um you know, I like really feeling pulled to places like, mm -hmm. like not feeling like I'm going through a catalog of places and I just choose one. Right. Right. It's yeah. more like this one is yanking me and like all of the roads are open. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's been one of the things about being here where it's just like the weather is great. I'm really thankful yeah. for no winter really last year. Yeah. Like actually I have really deep gratitude for that. Um, and also I'm like, okay, but like, why here y'all like, <laughs> like why yeah. here? And it's like, you know, the, like, I, 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 ha I have a collection of like, like reasons, but the, like the reason, like with a capital R, um, has not, 
um, deigned to show itself quite yeah, yet. For and sure. so that's like, it's really, it's an interesting, interesting place to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. LA is, I've been here for nine years and I have not fallen in love with it. <laughs> but I also feel like there are, there are reasons why I'm here that have become clear to me. I don't enjoy them. But when I think about leaving, it feels like not right yet yeah. at all. And and so, yeah. And the first year for me in LA was very difficult. But yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing that like this pandemic. Well, let me ask you, because you are an astrologer among many other um, different wisdom modalities and healing modalities. Um, do you look back at your own astrology from when you moved like like have you looked back at the time of moving here and and the time between then and when the pandemic started you're like oh it was always written or like that there was something you missed or something you I mean kind of yeah um now you're just making me I'm just gonna go ahead and open up my astrology software and like (laughs) take a look um (laughs) Because, like, lately, whenever I've been, like, looking back on my own astrology, I'm looking back further than yeah. recent recent events. Right. Um, and, like, there is absolutely, like, um, there are absolutely things that I'm doing here that I probably wouldn't have been able to do really in, like, Chicago. I never really thought about moving, moving to the East Coast, but right. if I was on the East Coast. And that's in part because... Um, you know, like in Chicago and of the places that I know on the East Coast, I don't know if uh, my partner and I would have been able to like find like a little bungalow that we could afford. Right. And like, yeah. we just got really lucky here. Like we thought we were going to have to be in like a big complex of some kind, but we yeah. were extremely blessed um, yeah. and found like, literally it's like, a, it's like a, it's like an OG tiny house before like tiny oh, houses yeah. were like tiny yeah. houses. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like a lot like on the large side for a tiny house but still like small yeah. right um and there's just there is something about um knowing that all of the walls that surround me are surrounding only me and like my partner my cat um yeah. that has given me room to do certain kinds of um like prayer work and mm-hmm. like ancestral work because I'm not um, censoring myself in case like my apartment neighbors hear me like right, saying yeah. weird shit and <laughs> yeah, or like totally. sobbing uncontrollably at like 11 a.m. on a Saturday <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> because my answer just ancestors just like said something that just cracked something open. Right. Where it's like, you know, um, there is something to that here. And, you know, one of the astrological things that's happening with Mars and Aries is Mars going over my IC, which is like the midnight point of the chart. It's opposite the Mm -hmm. midheaven Mm -hmm. and it points to um, like really private things, also like root things and ancestor things. Um, Some people even jokingly say that IC, which means imum coli um, also can mean inner child. Mm. Um, So that's kind of an interesting factor there um but i don't know october 2019 like huh that was a weird time um yeah that was a weird time but it 
I don't know, like looking at it right now. Um... Maybe it, I, what, so I, you know, you know that I am not versed in astrology, but I am learning. And whenever I talk to astrolog astrologers, um, the, or they share something with me about any kind of astrology, whether it's for the general public or whether it's my personal astrology, it looks to me like, like, have you ever had like a premonition or like, uh, yeah, like a premonition and you didn't know it was a premonition until after you, it came true in real life and you're like, well, how the hell was I supposed to know anyway? That's often how I feel about astrology. <laughs> They're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, this is here and it's placed here and it's going to mean something. And I'm like, but well, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the, like, um, like sometimes there's a phrase that gets bandied, bandied around where astrology is descriptive, not mm -hmm. proscriptive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and I would say that's pretty true. Like whenever you look at, astrological stuff you can you know suss out particular yeah. things um and uh, themes and ideas but um like to get really 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 on the nose exact precise like this is exactly how it's going to shake out like I, I think it requires a combination of hardcore techniques and like mm -hmm. hardcore maybe unacknowledged psychic abilities <laughs> totally yeah other things um, are at play there yeah yeah and it's also it's also interesting um like this is something that i like to say where it's like you can't see your own ass without a mirror which is why yeah. people who like study astrology or tarot or like the records or whatever like this is why yeah. it's important that you go to other people to receive totally. insight um yeah but, like i can look at my own chart and i can say things in particular about my own natal chart but when it comes to fully understanding my own like transits and things like that I'm kind of like nah life will yeah. happen <laughs> yeah so yeah. yes yeah. I well okay so when I was thinking about sustainability I started thinking about how because I, I, I started just wondering like why is why is this the topic for tomorrow? Like what, like this person that I'm going to talk to who does astrology, does tarot, does Reiki, what about sustainability? And, and then like, how does it come into astrology and even tarot? And both of those things to me are like, they're just templates and then they get filled with content. And so like the templates themselves are incredibly like sustainable the templates go on and on and on. And it, and it's like the content that we end up filling it with, with our life stories and our choices and our decisions are the things that really deplete us. <laughs> like that, that combination of, yeah, but I don't know. There's just so much freedom then because I feel like um, when I think about sustainability myself, the first thing that comes to mind, I've been doing a lot of work in like the national parks and like looking at geology and thinking about the climate and how the climate relates to our, you know, you know, this anti-racist movement that's happening and like um, how I can't help but think in that direction. But when I think about our personal choices, they seem almost meaningless 
that like sustainability is like I, I start going in this maybe darkish direction where I'm like sustainability isn't even like the goal like mm. like where, I, where like you're talking about being tired or being like just exhausted like I, I have start like started thinking about like then just exhaust like just go there like just mm. deplete and like see what emerges and I'm not telling you to do that by any means. Yeah. But like, that's like where my thinking goes. And it's, I don't know. I don't mean it in a dark way at all. But Yeah. No, I actually think that's really, that's really like on it. Right. Like, I think that's really like true because it's also one of those things where, um, at least for me, like recognizing my exhaustion to the, to the level of being able to, um, tend to it required me just feeling exhausted and part of tending to my exhaustion was just being like yes I have permission to be horizontal for the majority of today yeah (laughs) like I am like breaking my own rule about having my laptop in bed because the bed is more comfortable than the couch and I need to be horizontal right like it's like that that's like part of it and it's like okay so sustainability i think one of the interesting things even thinking about this in terms of climate change stuff like oftentimes sustainability is thought of in terms of like how do we make like oil reserves last as long as possible but mm-hmm. like as long as we're using a finite resource we are yeah. in a long term sense not making sustainable choices yeah you know totally. yeah. um so it's like how much is sustainability staving off the inevitable and how much is, yeah. of sustainability is um, like tending to vitality because yeah. those are different. Yeah. Like those are different orientations to sustainability yeah. too. Um, I think they're totally different things even mm-hmm. because tending to vitality. I love that phrase. I'm going to write that down. That's going in the show notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, like tending to vitality feels generative. It feels like the place from which things will be created. It feels expansive. Even if it looks the same as taking a nap to be sustainable, to sustain your energy. Like they could be the same exact action, but to be sustainable, it just feels almost I don't know. Like, I'm it's like, just ma- it's like, survive. yeah, it's maintaining survival level instead yeah. of being like, what would thriving feel like? Yes. And it actually reminds me um, a couple of years ago, I went to this event at a museum in Chicago and it involved this person <laughs> talking about teaching meditation. And this was a meditation teacher who focused on teaching in corporate environments mm-hmm. and her entire spiel about meditation was so keyed to like the corporate concern of yeah. like maintaining uh, maintaining employees, yeah. like reducing turnover, maximizing productivity, like mm-hmm. minimizing sick leave. Like it was so keyed yeah. into just continuing to feed the machine, feed the machine, yeah. feed the machine. And it yeah. was just so repulsive because to me that's like, 
my experience of meditation, like, sure, it gives me like more space in my brain and like, I'm like less like fizzy and like, like, you know, my, my nerve ends are less frazzly and sparkly. Right. But like, I don't meditate so that I am less likely to yell at my boss. Totally. Yeah. Right. I don't meditate, so I'm less likely to complain about fucked up HR policies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's maybe like another way to think about this. Like, are you doing it to be alive or are you doing it to survive? Because like yeah. surviving and like living also aren't the same. Totally. Yes. I oh man. And the fucking part that drives me nuts is that they know the powers that be know. They know the benefits of the stuff that you're talking about. Like this person doing it for corporate, like, you know, it's no wonder that Google has like massage therapists and taco Tuesday and they provide your transportation and you can sleep in your office. And there's, you know, it's no wonder because they're like wrenching every last drop of productivity Mm -hmm. out of you. And, but it's packaged to us. I mean, at least I remember, like, I remember living in, San Francisco in the early 2000s and like hearing about like Google or like these tech companies that were like you can ride a you know razor scooter around like the office like it's so cool and and thinking as a young person that's super cool and it wasn't until much later that I realized oh my god it's just a manipulation Mm -hmm. it's just a manipulation And yeah, I think everything you're talking about is, which brings me back to like the celebrity thing, because so what you're doing with your time in your life is such a, and I'm going to just say this for all of us, like it is in no sense, such a noble and like revolutionary thing to be teaching people their like who they are outside of the system and people are so hungry for hearing that that they can't help but like attach to you you know like Mm. they just these things that become I don't know if it's true for you but like like you said giving yourself permission to rest which you might normalize and that might be maybe there's a little struggle still like you need to chill out and rest and you're like no I need to send that email And, but for other people, like I think about like my mom's generation, she's retired and she's never prioritized rest. And now that she doesn't have work, she just doesn't even know what to do with herself. Like it's never even been in her awareness. And so hearing someone like us, even just on this podcast, I could see how people are like, I want to hear everything you have to say tell me everything. I'm your fan. I'm your follower. Rather than the message of you can give yourself permission to, you can be your own person that you lead your life to. I don't know. That was a lot, but yeah. 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 I mean, I think part of it, or like one thing that could be brought into this maybe is um, I'm someone that astrologically has Uranus pretty close to the ascendant. Um, And whenever we have a planet that's like on top of our ascendant, we kind of become an avatar of that planet Mm -hmm. in some way. And it will just be additionally colored by other factors in the chart. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And Uranus doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) 
(laughs) And like, I give a lot of fucks about certain things, but whenever I have decided that I don't give a fuck about something, like I'm just like done with it, which has meant that whenever I break up with people, sometimes it's not the cutest, (laughs) but, um, you know, in, in other respects, like this respect of like, um, like getting myself to trust in the potential benefits of rest enough to take rest seriously. Yeah. Um, like it wasn't just a, like, I'm going to thought myself into this. I didn't think myself into it. It was like, my body was like, Oh, you want to do that? That's cute. (laughs) Nope. nope. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, trying to tell my brain to do some thinking and my brain being like, no, you yeah. can you can fill me with all the coffee in the world and I'm still going to say no, yeah. right? Um, so, like, I think the, like, one of the things that, um, and there are so many different ways to think about why this would be true, but there's, um, like, culturally, there's a lot of compliance. Yes. There's a lot of, not questioning um there's a lot of like just complete unawareness that things could be different that certain approaches don't have to be the approach like just because it's the only thing you've ever known doesn't mean it's the only thing that ever will be or that ever has been um and to be an avatar of uranus it's just like of course this isn't how things always are or how things have to be yeah if it sucks why does it have to be yeah and like yeah. of the things that really do have to be, do we have to think of them as sucking? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. death, for example, I think a lot about death. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know, pastel goth or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, literally none of us make it out of this alive. Totally. Yeah. So why get upset about it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Senua Estelle posted something recently that just, like, oh, my God, I was so, so thankful. Um, Like, death is not a punishment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if we're going to die, guaranteed, there is literally nothing that you can do to avoid that part. Then how does that change your relationship with being alive? How does yeah. that change your relationship to fear? How does yeah. that change your relationship to belief and love? Yeah. Uh, that's that's really interesting. I talk a lot about this. I don't so one of our the podcast co-hosts, Katie Robinson, we talk a lot all the time about um just in like just casual DMs will be like about accepting harm as normal. <laughs> like just but uh thinking about like the confrontation like choosing death like we had this conversation where like choosing death being okay with death is really a choice in favor of life Mm -hmm. and and I think that's again like what like what visiting these like prehistoric I don't really like the word prehistoric, but you know what I mean? Prehistoric rock formations, these like millions and millions of years old rock formations are really teaching me is like, 
extinction is coming, whether you are sustainable or not. Mm-hmm. You will, humanity is essentially already extinct, extinct in like the geological time scale. It's gone. You're gone already. Mm-hmm. So instead of like going down a spiral of like, well, of like quitting or giving up, it is like really turning, flipping switches in me of like, well, then what am I going to do with this time that is magical and outside of the status quo? And like, how do I do whatever I want, whether it's normal, I have quotes around air quotes around normal or not. And it, it really is like a choice toward life. It really is incredible. But, and there's also like, like death is not a punishment. Death is also not a failure. I feel like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like capitalist kind of, I picture like Mad Men, 1950s kind of like people, that kind of mindset, just pitying or shaming people that die prematurely, even premature is like air quotes around that. Like that somehow people that have died failed somehow and like, Mm-hmm. And we can we can see that trace out into like the idea of a failed marriage or a failed relationship, where it's just yeah. like just because something ends doesn't mean it failed. Like every totally. if everything ends, does that mean everything's a failure? And if everything's a failure, that does that completely eliminate the meaningfulness of the word failure? Yeah, exactly. Failure is like one of those implicitly like false terms. It's mm-hmm. like just inherently does not make sense but what you're talking about is like that's a total paradigm shift away from the capitalist colonial paradigm Mm -hmm. into another paradigm where yeah a concept like failure doesn't even make sense anymore and there's so many people that I'm seeing that are like straddling that line of like like if you can give up in the context of this conversation, give up the meaning of failure and throw failure out. It means that so many blocks in the Jenga of your life are going to fall because they've been built around a concept of failure or death. Or fear. And, and I, fear yeah, of those fear. things too. Like, yeah. like if failure doesn't exist, but your whole life has been aimed at, or like has been built around fear of failure. Totally. Like, like it's not yeah. even a, it's not even a house of cards. It's an imaginary yeah. castle. Totally, you are just on the tarmac waiting to. You're just taxiing forever. You're never living mm-hmm. life. Yeah, and yeah, this has been a conversation of a million beautiful metaphors. <laughs> like, <laughs> all the metaphors. I, I love. That. I love metaphors. <laughs> I love them so. Much. So, I do too. It's like the only. Thing that makes sense sometimes mm-hmm. um so let me go back to maybe where we would have started with which is can you tell the folks who might not know you about what you do yeah um so i am i don't know how do i put this i'm a wordsmith <laughs> i work with words And the words that I use are very often rooted in astrology or tarot. Um, Sometimes my words come out more in Reiki, which 
is a form of communication, I would say. Um, and sometimes my words come out as actual words in writing, but I work with people one-on-one. Um, I have a Patreon. Um, I'm trying to consider different ways of uh, creating the things that come to me for creation and that come to me yeah. for articulation um, so that they can more easily reach people who would like to be reached by them or who are yeah. reaching for them and don't know it. Um, yeah. 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 I don't know. When, I'm like, yeah. No, go ahead. yeah. Well, I was going to ask like, when did you know you were a wordsmith? Like how, mm. how did that make itself known to you? How young were you? What was that like? So I started reading when I was really little, like I think I was like three and a half or four when I started reading independently. Um, and, you know, reading, reading was always something that um, held me mm-hmm. in times when other ways of being held weren't available. Yeah. Maybe be one way of putting that. Um, and I would write too, like I have journals from when I was like really little Um but the first time, like, the title of writer was kind of conveyed upon me uh, was my fifth grade social studies teacher. No, fifth grade English teacher, Mrs. Smith. Is that right? No, Mrs. Stamp. I think her name was Stamp. It was really funny. Whatever. It doesn't, like, I'm not good. My child memory is not great for trauma reasons. Um, but my fifth grade English teacher told me that I was going to grow up to be a writer. And I didn't know what to make of that. Um, And then I spent a lot of time, I don't know, I did a lot of writing, like throughout my life. Um, There was a time period when all of my journal entries were like freeform poetry. Um, (laughs) I was like, how can I say what I feel with the least number of words possible? Um, And um, I resisted actually calling myself a writer for a long time. And that's because the people that I knew who were writers were writing in ways that I didn't want to write. Yeah. Or whenever I told, whenever people thought that I should be a writer, they would try to also tell me what I should write. And I didn't ever want to write what they told me to write. um, You know, one of the things that I continue to be pretty allergic around is this idea that because I am of mixed ancestry and mm. the easiest way to categorize me, if you don't know me, is to say that I am Black. Um, and I never wanted to become someone who was a Black writer. Yeah. Um, I didn't want that um, false um, colonialist like totally. categorization to determine um, what I was allowed to write and how I was allowed to write it because there are expectations placed on mm-hmm. feminist writers and placed on black writers yeah. and placed on mm-hmm. like all of these. Um, it's like going to a buffet that contains all of the world's cuisine and you expect that there's going to be sushi in the Japanese station yeah. and non in the Indian station. And it's just mm-hmm. like, do you all realize that like these cultures have foods that aren't these foods that are common in America? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, felt like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Words, words have always been with me and it's, it just took time for me to accept that 
um, to accept the title of writer, to consider mm. myself, to think in terms of myself as a wordsmith, yeah. um, and to accept that title in the way that makes sense for me, instead of assuming that it means what I think other people mean when they say that. Yeah, yeah. What were, when you were a kid, what were some of your favorite books or what, what do you, what do you hold with you still? Yeah. Um, I mean, the little prince was like a huge important book for me. And actually my very first tattoo is the the fox from the little prince. Um, yeah, the petit prince. I actually majored in French in college, maybe because of Antoine de Saint-Esprit, but like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that one was really huge. Um, the The Hobbit was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, continues to be huge. I reread it recently, and it's just it's such a yarn. Like it, mm-hmm. like as you read it, you imagine. I I imagine I should say as I read it, I imagine it being told like around a fire. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just such a good story. Um, I also read like all of the C.S. Lewis. Um, yeah. you know, like Narnia books. Yeah. Um, and was like very startled when I learned about the Christian overlay and like yeah. continue to resist. Like I just, I pretend it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. <laughs> even though it's yeah. very there. Um, the, uh, the, oh, his dark materials series oh by Philip God. Pullman. Like Those I remember, like, I listened to the golden compass audiobook on cassette uh-huh. tape on road trips with my grandparents. And I, pretty sure I listened to that cassette tape like at least like three or four times on road trips with my grandparents because I just loved it so much those are my favorite books of all time that trilogy so is good. I haven't reread yeah. them in a really long time I've been a little afraid to um but maybe I maybe I'll I will release my fear around that and just like yeah. live my life and reread, reread them yeah. um I'm trying to think what else were like the major I mean, I grew up with Harry Potter, um, yeah. But I love the Harry yeah. Potters too. Yeah, they were like you know they were like one of the things that I've considered like since then, especially because I did try to reread them, and I was like, oh, I actually don't want to spend time rereading all of these. Like when I remember all of the key plot points, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think there's something there. There were a lot of, like, as many issues as are now visible as an adult, like, there was a lot there around, um, like, defying the forces of destruction Mm. that I think were really influential and important. Yeah, I, as you mentioned, the the Christian overtones of C.S. Lewis, I am, I have opted to not even revisit whether yeah revisit harry potter in in light of all of the new transphobic stuff Mm -hmm. coming out around jk rowling and and part of it is a heart wound of like mm -hmm. i don't want to face it yet yeah yeah it's harsh i mean actually another another author um uh he wrote ender's game yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I forget. I have Orson that. Scott Card. Orson Scott yeah. Card. I read. I read or Ender's Game several times as a as like a 
kid, teen, tween, whatever. Yeah. Um, too. And also his book Enchantment, which is like I was really I really love like retellings of fairy tales. Yeah. And like I really love retellings of mythologies. Like I think yeah. they're all of them are really interesting and give you different facets into like yeah. how you could consider those stories. And Enchantment like pulled in a bunch of different fairy tales together. Um mm. And just like made them more visceral. Mm. Like I just I don't know if it actually is in that book, but like I just have this memory of something to do with a bear. I think it was like kind of yeah. associated with the like um, the rose red um, uh, yeah, yeah. like story. Um, and there's this like this bear prince, and like something about how his fur was described just like did something to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, like Orson Scott Card is like a shitty person now. Yeah, really? I don't know anything about him. Yeah, I don't like I like pushed out the details from my memory, but I like learned about oh. it and I was like, well, fuck, I don't want to <laughs> you know, I think it's... there might be something to like like what in order to write really compelling stories set in like not the present reality. Yeah. Like there's a kind of tapping into an other world that I think happens. And yeah. I think if people are vulnerable when they do that, then there's like high likelihood of like getting caught by something or catching yeah. catching an idea that isn't relevant to the story, but that like lodges itself in the person that eventually blooms as something like yeah. as like revolting as transphobia. It's yeah, I I have this conversation with my boyfriend all the time in terms of like music people and like actor not more mostly music because he's in the music world but like like conflating the person with their art whether not whether it's right or wrong but just that we do it and conflating the art with the audience too that like whether that's you know like you know, like, I mean, his example is always around, like, you know, hair metal bands from the 80s and, like, how we start to think, like, oh, this is, like, that the, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going. But just that it's such a complex, it's such a complex, like, argument. It's such a complex endeavor to, like, parse out the creator from the creation and mm -hmm. whether we should do it or not, or whether there's value or not. And I used to have this, this like conversation with myself when I was a kid. Cause I grew up in the eighties and I remember there were like, um, you know, Tammy Faye Baker and Jim Baker, who were these like evangelists that it was found out that they were just taking all this money from their, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Congregation. Con and like, yeah. yeah. And, I used to like wonder like does their you know do their transgressions mean that maybe the spiritual benefits that their con congregation received are now false and mm -hmm. like is it is is the person who like is the person who receives the art and has their own experience with it and I'm not talking about art that is overtly trying to brainwash you to become transphobic mm -hmm. too. That's a whole other thing. But like, is my experience with that art somehow false? I don't, I, 
like you know the letdown yeah yeah that actually just reminded me like um like the Wachowskis with Mm. the Matrix and they were just like yeah that's totally it was absolutely a trans parable Mm. right and like all of the people who have used like red pill blue pill concept for like oppressive orientations essentially like um like obviously they got the sense of like oh right there's something wrong with this structure but they like their conclusion was not the same as the intention of the artist who created that yeah for them so you know and I also think about like for example like has has JK always been so rabidly and unacceptably transphobic or has she been radicalized over recent years you know like what was I mean she definitely included some like relatively transphobic jokes in Harry Potter like there was one one major one um but was it like serious transphobia in the way that it has become now then? So there's also this question of like people change over time and the works that they create at one point in their life don't necessarily align with what they would create at a different point in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And all of it to me, like, because I know that there are people who are just like, I'm done. I now know about her. I'm done with Harry Potter. It's not a part of my life. And that does not feel okay to me at all. Mm-hmm. I like that response to me is deeply colonial because it's like a binarized response. Either she's in or out, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no like like an like analog area of like gradation or accountability or like what does that mean or how do we hold that person accountable? What is the hurt that happened? Like there's no gray area, and so. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. And I'm not saying that anyone who has cast her out is wrong, but you, we all have to make our choices, you know, about what we accept into our lives. But I just can't do it because it made, it, it was like, if that were the case, I'd, I'd be casting out my dad, a lot of my uncles, like all yeah. these like people that brought good and harm into my life. Yeah. I mean, I think like part of it too, like I think part of the desire to just fully cast out that which feels shameful or wrong to us, like to me, that feels like um, a desire to cast out from ourselves that which we feel shameful or wrong, but we can't do it from inside. So whenever we're given the opportunity to do it externally, particularly if we can do it in a way where like the repercussions that we personally experience are minimal, there's like, it like, it scratches an itch. Yeah. And like, again, like, I don't think that's good or bad. Um, But I think it can be interesting to consider like, did I reject this? person and literally everything that they have ever created or done and the significance that may or may not have been held by that like am I casting that out because I really just need it to be out of my life am I casting that out because I need to cast out something yeah right now yeah and every time every time we cast someone out completely like banish them 
to me, the stakes become even greater for me to cause harm unintentionally. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, like if we're now, like I just get, it just feels like I get higher and higher off the ground. And if I mess up, it's going to be a big fucking fall. Mm -hmm. And I, so I'm trying really hard, even if I don't agree with what someone has done, or even if I don't really like a particular person to like, for my own sense of belonging on this planet, what does it look like? What does it feel like to like hold, hold that person in the midst of existence, even with the harm and know that we're still all here together. Mm -hmm. That like, I can't, it's almost like, yeah, I know we're, we're like verging on the, on the, like saying the, the C word cancel, but, but it's like, it, 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 it I always want to like, and I think going back to like your post on unfollow me, like being a, pre- a like public presence has made it really wild. The stories that people create about me who've had no interactions with me personally I might post something that like they take as conflict with the story. Like it conflicts with the story they've created about me. And now I have harmed them mm-hmm. potentially. And like what, I don't know. There's so many things that like come into play here and like sustainability it to me is like a big umbrella around this because it's inherently un- unsustainable to like be in, co- it's not even being in community. It's like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm babbling now, but yeah. I mean, there's something about, there's something there about how like, um, and like, this is something that I have to remind myself is like a sort of privilege about having Uranus on the ascendant where like, if I have decided that something is true for me and if I have decided that something is true enough to like share on the internet, um, and I've sat with it and I feel like, yes, I want to share this on the internet. Like I literally, never well pretty much never think about whether it might shatter someone's perception of who I am because if it would shatter someone's perception of who I am I actually that to me is an incentive to post it I love you so much (laughs) um because like like I I want to be unplaceable in a lot of different ways like I don't want to be pedestalized in a way that yeah. means I'm also like calcified into a particular position. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's not my, like how other people decide to put me in a box is not my responsibility. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild how that happens though. It's yeah. so, I mean, it happens. Yeah. Fine. Cool. Great. Bye. Like, yeah. like you can be here for me and what wants to come through me yeah. and the way that it wants to come through me. And it picked me to come through because it wants this flavor. Yeah. You can be here for that or yeah. you can unfollow me. And like, honestly, that doesn't hurt. Like, I would <laughs> like it if there were fewer people following me. <laughs> that is to be in total trust. Like you're, that's what I hear. And I think that's like what I struggle with so much. Like, to be in total trust that that no matter what happens is exactly right, mm-hmm. which is in a sense to like, 
be in total acceptance of death. I know I made a big leap, but it's like, it really is, is. And it's also, it's also to be an acceptance of pain and suffering and harm. And it's really complex and hard. Like it's really hard. Like it's easy to be like, yeah, death, it comes for us all, but it's different entirely to recognize, like, you know, this is something like if somebody wants to do this, which is like, it is an intense practice if you do it well, (laughs) but like death meditation, Mm. right? Like literally like laying there and imagining your body shutting down. Yeah. What does it feel like? What does it taste like? What is the sound of that? And as that happens, what do you regret? What do you wish you would have done? Yeah. What unfinished business did you have? Mm. And like Mm. doing that changes what you care about to really do it. Like not, don't just sit there and like imagine like, oh yeah, I guess if I died, I would probably regret that. No, you actually have to like, it, it. it's hard because you have to have really good imaginative faculties. So you might have yeah. to do a lot of imagination work first. Yeah. Like vision, and you might have to shut work. down your, shut down a lot of coping mechanisms that might kick in to prevent you from actually experiencing it. Cause it is mm-hmm. terrifying to so many like elements of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, also, like, accepting that everything is as it should be in some way means yeah. accepting that other people's suffering yeah. are, is somehow exactly how it should be in this moment, yeah. which yeah. then requires you to not be apathetic, Yeah. right? Just because exactly right now, someone is on a ventilator. Yeah, Many exactly someone's. right now, there's a toddler separated from their mom at the border yeah exactly right now like you know we could list out yeah a whole bunch of horrors that are happening in this moment yeah yeah um like acknowledging that those things are happening and it is on some level how it quote unquote should be yeah like that can totally fuck up your worldview that can totally fuck up your ideas of what is ethical and correct um that can fuck up your ideas of responsibility and correct behavior. Um, And like, if this is how it's supposed to be, then what the hell am I supposed to be doing? Yeah. Like, is it right to stop things? And it's like, yes, because whenever you are working to stop something that you find reprehensible, you're doing exactly what you should be doing in that moment. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's this. Yeah. The you're already extinct. So what are you going to do with this magical time? Like, Mm -hmm. It, it's not about, it's, it's maybe about surrender, but not about giving up. Mm-hmm. It's like, like going with the flow, but not throwing your hands up and saying, I'm powerless. I can do nothing here. It's yeah. in in the, like in our Akashic practice, it, it, you know, we talk about how whenever we witness suffering in others and we have these like, you know, Oh my God, these empathetic responses. It's not that, this is going to sound harsh. It's not that we actually empathize. It's that it's triggered our own fear that maybe we're unloved. Maybe that we're, our discomfort is that we're separated from, from unconditional love. And, and so really what we need to ask ourselves is like, how can I be okay? Even if this is happening, 
and we need to be okay if we do want to stop these things from happening. Like we can't be in a state of constant shock that this is going on. We at some point have to like move through that, but it's going to require us to like take stock of our, our sense of our connection to love, our connection to like that we deserve to be here, that we are supposed Mm -hmm. to be here. That things are exactly as they should be. Yeah. I think, I think one, one thing that maybe can sometimes be helpful because should can be such a triggering like word uh, concept. You know, it's like things should be like this. I should be like this. And then there's a bunch of urgency and fear and like all of that that gets roped in. It's like, what if it's just like things exactly are the way they are? Yeah. And they are the way they are because that's the way they are. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that doesn't mean that's how they're going to be forever. And it doesn't mean that you cannot influence a different state of being. Totally. Coming into being. Um, Yeah. But you have to start with first accepting that things just are the way they are. Yeah, it is and, what it is. And you don't, you know, like, not get lost in the, but it should be like this. It should be this other way. Yeah. Like that's where the whole, like, well, things are the way they are. So that means that's the way that things should be in this exact moment. Yeah. And it's not should according to some like easily accessible concept of like divine morality and ethics it should as in the results the resulting consequences of everything that's come before I love that clarification that's perfect that's beautiful but I think that like that's important it's like it's not should like because it's correct it should because this is the consequence of yeah what has happened and whenever you think of it in those terms then it's like okay so what can I do now to create consequences yeah. that make sense for what I'm doing, what I'm influencing with mm-hmm. the hope that those consequences are the consequences I would prefer to be in the world. Yes. Yeah. I, I think should is such a ambiguous word that I can definitely see my thinking and my exposition on thoughts and ideas shaped by the short form of like Twitter and Instagram and social media mm-hmm. and should becomes like a metonym. It becomes like a, you know, it represents things that maybe it becomes ambiguous. It just becomes ambiguous. So I, I really appreciate like the way you explained it. Yeah. That's exactly what I, it's exactly right. <laughs> it's exactly. <laughs> It is exactly right. I, I, yeah, shit is dangerous, but um, sometimes, yeah, that's the word. Sometimes that's the that's the most like. Sometimes it's ambiguity is what makes it exactly correct. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, what are your like? What are the things you're doing right now to bring about? Uh, tending to vitality rather than sustainability. Yeah, tending to vitality. One of the things that I did that I'm extremely excited about, and I think this is now the second or third podcast recording where I have mentioned my new blender. Ooh. <laughs> um, I like, I, I tend to be the kind of person that's like, it would probably be really good for me to have this thing, but I want the best one that I can afford. And because that means it's going to be more expensive than I 
feel like is correct to spend, mm. I'm just going to put it off indefinitely. So I've been wanting a good blender literally for like over a decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I finally got one. Um, and I got a refurbished one and I also found a 25% off coupon. So I got it for a really good deal. Um, so what'd you settle on? I got a, I got a blend tech. I forget Mm. the model number, but I bought it directly from blend tech because they have refurbished models that have, um, like still have warranties or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I have been having, I've been using it literally almost every single day. Like, like cool. 95% of the days since I have acquired this thing, I have used this blender. And so I've been making like green smoothies and like other kinds of smoothies. And it can do like the smoothie I'm literally drinking right now mm-hmm. has beets in it. It can blend beets. Yeah. That's like that's awesome. how good of a blender it is. Um, and also realized that instead of like trying to decide between a blender or a juicer, I could just get a really good blender and use my nut milk bags to strain mm-hmm. out certain things. Like if I do want more of a yep. juice. Mm-hmm. So like, like, because like blended celery is disgusting to try to drink. It's like stringy and weird and gross, yeah. but you strain yeah. it and you have like, you know, a celery pear ginger juice. Yeah. That like is not $12 because yeah. you made it at home. Um, so that's one thing I've been doing because like I've been working with an herbalist since January. And one of the things that we've like, come to conclude is that I don't absorb nutrients as well Mm -hmm. as I could or should be. So making sure that I'm having like maximally nutrient dense, like nutrition Mm -hmm. and also supplementation um, has made a huge difference. And like, you know, I have like two salads and like three portions of fruits in this jar. Yeah. Like two salads maybe not three salads um (laughs) and like it is it took me like five minutes to make it yeah and it's because it's like blended ideally it means it will absorb more quickly so that's one thing of just being like how do I how do I like um inject nutrients into my system yeah (laughs) like as many as I can without overdosing yeah um I've been giving myself permission to rest, as we already talked about, um, which means like slowly shedding the guilt over the fact that even though I like to pray to the planets every day, I don't get up and do it at dawn, which is like the quote unquote best time to do it. Mm. (laughs) Um, I let myself sleep. And like, you know, the past couple of nights I've tried, I've experimented with setting an alarm for about eight hours after I go to bed and I'm like "Mm, eight hours is still not quite enough I think I still need like nine or ten yeah okay right instead of being mad at myself being like that's okay um I also have a lot of emails that I have not responded to yeah and being like you know what none of these people will die if I don't email them yeah like I am not a brain surgeon or an anesthesiologist like people's lives are not literally in my hands um yeah I delete Instagram off of my phone after I post things oh on my phone that's a good one yeah I also don't have my email apps on my phone oh yeah which is also really good um I've started using WhatsApp to like text with most of my friends because Mm -hmm. it means that I can text with them from my laptop. 
mm-hmm. and that's yeah. been good for my thumbs. Yeah. Um, what I else? Love I feel like those are some of the main things that yeah. I've been doing. I finally got a foam roller again. I love oh, foam yeah. rollers. And yeah. it was another one of those things where like I accidentally left one behind at a place where I moved out and as self-punishment I was like no you're not allowed to spend $20 on a new foam roller like okay Diana (laughs) so funny how we do that logic makes no sense I'm just like you're not punishing a three-year-old you're literally buying a thing that helps you tend to your body Um, yeah so I finally got myself a new foam roller and that's been really nice and like yeah that's been good um yeah those are some of the oh also reading novels like reading things that aren't immediately applicable to my work because as much as I love reading things that are relevant to my work and as much as I love learning stuff sometimes potato chip books are the thing that are actually the most nourishing yeah I totally agree I can't remember the last time I read fiction which is sad to me yeah I just read like the first several witcher books Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. just like they're just so edible. They're so yeah. like chomp chomp. So, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. The ways that I have been tending to my vitality, one is spending money. And I know that sounds that is I have the privilege to do it because I have the money right now, but also I realized that there are ways that you can spend money at any level. (laughs) Like you can go to the dollar store and have the experience of spending money. Um, And I say this because I am coming out of a cave of scarcity Mm -hmm. that I've been in for my whole life and probably multiple generations. And the, it's not the spend, it's not what I buy it's not the amount that I spend. It's the letting go confidently of money mm. that feels so vital rather, rather than hoarding it. And, and then when, when I hoard it, feeling always like my hoard is not big enough, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to survive this. It's going to be taken away. So like spending money is, in the face of this like, you know, pandemic and, you know, uprisings for black lives and like this about to be election time and in the face of all this spending money has made me feel so like I'm taking advantage of this time even though I'm extinct (laughs) yeah yeah so that's been a big one and traveling I you know like again like I there was a moment where I was maybe about to be scared into not leaving my house mm-hmm. like where we were in the beginning like we would go grocery shopping once a month yep. and not go out and not see anyone and it felt just you know we talked about this in another episode but this feeling of unsoothable that nothing nothing will soothe me mm-hmm. and so I've been building in like little tiny trips like go home to San Diego to see my mom we went to Zion twice I went to Zion twice like which is just a six-hour drive but it that's luxurious right now when people are like I mean some people told me do not use a toilet that's not in your hotel room and I 
did and I'm fine. And I'm not, I'm saying everyone should, if you do this, take your precautions and everything, but like, I don't know, to kind of like ground and be like, I'm, I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to wear a mask and gloves and do the sanitizer and wash my hands all the time. And, you know, I'm going to be cautious and I'm going to get tested constantly, but I'm going to do some things in the face of the media telling me I shouldn't or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to indulge that should, that I should, should do nothing. That has felt super vital for me. Yeah. And knowing there's a risk and that it's worth it for me and my mental health to take the risk. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's also the thing where, and like, this is a conversation I remember having a lot, like a couple months ago, I feel like it's died down a bit where um, you can be the most cautious person, yeah. so careful and do everything right and still get sick yeah like this is true with all diseases yeah right like not just not just coronavirus it's like yeah you know i i i've been um like ordering groceries to go pick up instead of being Mm -hmm. in the grocery store like under like for me that feels like a way to not just protect myself but also to be um kind to the people who work at the grocery store um yeah and you know recognizing that just because I do that that doesn't mean there isn't gonna be like enough virus on the bags to like harm me like I don't do it so I don't get sick I do it to reduce risk but like there's no such thing as zero risk right now like yeah totally yeah like you know I remember reading stories about people like, you know, taking the mail out of their mailbox, using gloves, and then leaving it in another room for like three days before touching it. Yeah. And I'm like, if this book that I ordered from a used bookstore is going to like get me sick, like at least I had a book. I don't know. (laughs) I know. Everybody has to assess their risk. Like, like you just said, it's like everyone has to assess their risk themselves and be precautious according to like what makes sense for them. Yeah. Like, and I wouldn't tell other people you have to go on a trip. I would never do that. But like, I did have to travel kind of every other week. Yeah. (laughs) Like I had to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm totally. I'm like this close to getting a membership to the LA County Arboretum. Like, yeah, and I just went there yesterday, and I was just like, oh, yeah, here is a yeah. good place. This is yes, <laughs> that place is magical. So yeah, and also just I think like going back to sustainability, this idea that you should do nothing, wash and pre-wash and third, you know, wash three times and put your mail in another room. And that you're going to die no matter what, you know, like this idea, like you're going to get it, you're just breathing the air, you're going to get it. It It's trying to scare us, but it's trying to like leverage our, Fear our like dependence on sustainability though, that we can somehow like sustain this through fear. And that's just not, that does not resonate with me whatsoever. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, I mean, and also like, this is the kind of thing where we might just have to learn how to live with the fact that what, like we might catch this forever. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It might be like the new cold, but you end up on a ventilator instead yeah. of like with a pile of tissues by the bed. Yeah. And if that's yeah. the case, 
then that means figuring out how, like, what are, what levels of risk are you willing to take on? What levels of risk are you willing to expose others to? Yeah. Which, you know, brings in a part of the conversation that I think is still not culturally ingrained enough. By yeah, a long shot. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, but you have to figure out like, okay, so what's my life if this is always a risk? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What is my life? Yeah. Um, okay. The last thing is mm-hmm. if, <laughs> do you want people to contact you? And if so, <laughs> what are the channels that people should use? Yeah. So um, I, as much as I was talking about how people shouldn't follow me on Instagram, <laughs> people who definitely want to be engaging my, with my work, I invite you <laughs> yeah. to follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm also kind of sort of on Twitter, but like mm-hmm. less so because I find Twitter to be more um, nervous system stimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try not to be on it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Patreon. Patreon is the best place if you actually want to actively support my work and also mm-hmm. receive, um, I don't know, content is such a weird word to say, but like gain access to things that I do that yeah. um, are not really on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and at all of those places, um, the thing to know, the handle or the slash, patreon.com slash, is Damashena. Or Met is spelled D D A M A S. C-E-N-A-A. Um, I'll put it in the show notes too. I'll make sure we yeah. link to it. Cool. Yeah. Um, that's also my website, damashana.com. Um, if you, you know, after listening to me ramble, <laughs> ever want to like, you know, work with me in session, um, I'm at a point which is super weird and I, for which I am grateful and also weirded out um, where I get booked out in advance um yeah so if you are like yes i definitely want to work with you don't send me a contact form or a dm join me on patreon at the three dollar level or above because patreon patrons receive um like after my students and my like super regular long-term clients um they receive like patreons patreon patrons patron whatever they receive they receive first notification okay Um, cool so yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this conversation. It's like, I know it's a podcast, but also is like selfishly a way to spend time with you. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. I was actually just thinking like, wait, did we just record a podcast? Because I feel like I just had a I great digi hang with Leah. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was very fun. I highly, highly recommend. I, I don't know. I know that you're booked out, but like, I've never had a more like, I don't even know the word, mellifluous, sweet, poetic, lyrical, powerful session with any kind of reader of any modality. Oh my God. Like yours. It was really, truly like you're, you are not lying when you say you're a wordsmith. And I think like that really does you know, like in, in archetypal psychology, we talk about how, um, you know, like beauty is the language of the universe and the universe tends toward beauty. And, and it's true and not in a weakened way, but in a way that like beauty is impactful in a way that like 
you know, if you're writing a manual or exposition writing or, you know, whatever is like not as impactful. And that's why I think like our session and all the things that you shared with me, like still sit and play back in my mind because your language is just so powerful and just gorgeous. And so I highly recommend everyone to book Diana ASAP. I yeah. I am now the color of my beet containing smoothie. <laughs> That is, um, I, I'm, I, I'm like, I don't have words. I was, thank you for that. Thank it's okay. You. You, can let, you can let your parasympathetic nervous system take over for that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I'll post all the show notes. You'll be able to see it and book Diana. And we'll see you next time, Power Crystals.